This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley and is part four of Free to Sacrifice, a series on Philippians. I just returned from a two-week trip to Nairobi, Kenya and Jos, Nigeria, where we were visiting some of our really dear friends and ministry partners in the gospel. And there's one guy in particular who's a good friend of our diocese, works for works with and under Archbishop Kawashi. His name is Mark Mukan. Venerable Mark Mukan is his official title. And uh, Mark, or Mukan as we call him sometimes, has been to Rez uh, once, and hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to be able to bring him back here again shortly after the first of the year. So uh, Mukan is just full of crazy stories of God's intervention and miracles in his life as many of our African Christian friends are. So he was telling me this story about he was traveling up in the northeast of Nigeria, um, and he was driving his car in the middle of nowhere and going by this small village, and the car broke down and couldn't move, couldn't get it to start. So he got out, and he noticed that he was right by this small village. So he went into the village. He started talking to people. He noticed there was a lot of children there. He noticed there wasn't a church there, and so... He thought, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I'll come back and visit here someday. So about two months later, he got his, by the way, his, his car had serious engine problems, so he had to get a brand or a rebuilt engine. So he gets the rebuilt engine. He's driving the same car, and he says, in exactly, and you know what meant, in exactly the same spot, the car broke down again, right in front of that village. So he said, I had some little activity books for children, and so I got out, and I was talking to the villagers, and I was... Uh, getting to know them, and I noticed they had no church, and then somehow he got back to Joss, and then he got another engine rebuilt, so that's two new engines in two months, and then he says, and you know what, Matt? I realized God was trying to tell me something. God was trying to tell me that I should plant a church in that village, and then he just sort of, boom, exclamation mark, and the first words out of my mouth, seriously, I am not lying first words out of my mouth were, if God wanted you to plant a village and he wanted to get your attention, couldn't he have just taken out two water pumps instead of two engines? <laughs> and he looks at me like, oh, you stupid American, how long must I be with you? <laughs> it's not about the engines. It's not about the money. It's about people. It's about Jesus. Remember him, Matt? It's about the gospel. It's about the good news. Now, if you want to be a good Christian, look at Mark Mukan in that instance. Because there is something hap that happens as we meet Jesus for the first time. As we continue to meet Jesus and be transformed by him with a living encounter with the person of Jesus and life in his church, something happens. We begin to get transformed. It transforms us, our values. It transforms what's important to us. It transforms what we're passionate about. Some things that we just really had to have and couldn't live without, suddenly they're not that important anymore. And some things it's like, I didn't know that was important to me, but all of a sudden, I really care about that. I really, my... Everything has been reassessed, everything has been revalued, and I've been reprioritized. My life has been reprioritized. That is what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us 
what was happening in his life and what's supposed to happen in every believer of Jesus' life in our first reading from Philippians 3. So I wanted to invite you to turn there because we're going to look at this passage. It's a powerful passage of what happens when Jesus gets a hold of our life and begins to change us from the inside out. A lot of times we hear in the Christian life that we're supposed to sacrifice. This last four weeks, we have been doing a series called Free to Sacrifice. Sacrificing is about giving up. Sacrificing is about losing things, right? You can't sacrifice without losing some things. But sometimes, if we're living a life of sacrifice without the powerful encounter with Jesus Christ, it sounds like this. It sounds like, or it looks like, and feels like a big man trying to take away a bone from a scrappy little dog. God's the big man, we're the little dog. The bone is what, whatever we have, our pride, our anger, our, our jealousy, our sense of self-worth in ourselves, that's the bone. And we don't want to give it up. And God goes, drop it, drop it. Well, Jesus used a very different picture. He said, it's like a man walking through a field and he stumbles upon this treasure, this unbelievable treasure, more than he ever imagined, a life, better life than he ever imagined. And so he goes back and he sells everything he has. He sacrifices everything. He loses everything. Why? So he can get that treasure. That's what the Christian life like. That is what a counter in Jesus means. And that's what Paul's going to explore today. Through his own story, he's going to show us what every Christian's journey is meant to be, a life of losing, but a life of gaining the thing that is of supreme worth, the treasure, the pearl of great price. That's what this passage is all about. So let's look at this passage. Now notice in verse 2, Paul comes out swinging. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And you're going, whoa, this guy's angry. Well, he's not so much angry, but he says that what we're going to look at this morning is at the heart of the Christian faith. If you cut this out, if you dilute this, if you somehow compromise this, you have lost the heart of faith in Jesus. So this is worth something. Yeah, this is worth fighting for, Paul says. And then he goes into what we might call, what I call in the tradition, the Christian tradition I grew up in, a personal testimony. Now, if you're not familiar with personal testimony, it's a story of how someone came to know Jesus. And we were actually in our church, our college group, we were just instructed to write our testimony in three minutes, in three parts, with one minute for each part. Part one was my life before I met Jesus, which is usually, it was a train wreck, I was headed for disaster, I was awful, I was miserable, I met Jesus. It was dramatic, it was amazing. Now I'm following Jesus, and my life is unbelievably better. Now, let me just say, if your life is a train wreck this morning, Jesus wants to meet you too. He wants to meet you this morning. For most of us, we're met at the train wreck part of our life. Jesus can meet us there. There's no pit so deep. I'll get back to that in a few minutes. But for Paul, his testimony, his three-part testimony was very different. Before he met Jesus, 
my life was pretty good. I mean, my self-assessment. I mean, he was running around killing Christians, but aside from that, my life's pretty good. He felt pretty good about himself, had good self-esteem. And then he met Jesus, and it was traumatic. The guy knocked me down. I was blind. I couldn't see or eat for three days. I was completely disoriented. I had no idea where I was. I had no idea which way up was down or down was up. And then this guy I've never met has got to come and lay hands on me, and it's like scales falling off my eyes, and I'm like, what just happened? It was traumatic. And now since he's known Jesus, it's really hard. He's like, I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been beaten. I've been threatened. Now I'm in a prison cell. I don't know whether I'm going to get in or out, or I'm going to come out alive or dead. So come, follow Jesus with me. There's my personal testimony. Notice what Paul does in verses 4 through 6. And we'll just walk through this, just walk through this verse by verse. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Hebrews, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, I don't need to give you all the details of why those things were so impressive in Paul's day and for him and for his culture, but just trust me, it's a very impressive list. Seven things. They're all very impressive. He is building, what he calls, he's building a righteousness of my own. That's what he calls it in verse 9. He says, I had a righteousness of my own. It's a righteousness building project in which I build my righteousness. I build myself into a good person. I pull myself up. I live the life I'm supposed to live. I get accepted before God by the good things I do. I impress other people. I'm building my righteousness. Another way to say that is Paul is giving us his spiritual life resume. And there's two categories on this life resume. And this is saying, I think it's true for all of us. Number one is status. And number two is achievement. Those are the two things on your resume. Status, that's the things you're born into. It's your privileges. It's your, maybe you're born into wealth. Maybe you're born into great home life. And it was just, it was amazing. Maybe you have beauty or, or talent or some kind of privilege. That's status. You know, when I was in Nigeria, just a little story. They think in terms of something called American privilege. They think we're all very privileged. Now, you might feel you're on the lower end of the American privilege scale, but they just think we're all privileged. We all have a lot of privilege. For instance, the guys really liked my tennis shoes, which I thought were pretty cool, and I consulted with my young sons, and I picked them out, and they're like, those are cool shoes. I asked, how much do those cost? And I'm like, oh, they're very reasonable. I got them on sale, $50. And they look at each other, and they go, one guy says, that's 20,000 naira. That's like three months' salary. I'm like, we are privileged. We have status. The second thing is achievement. Achievement is what you earn. It's what you work for. It's your sweat. 
It's your, it's your activity. It's you deserving what you get. You weren't born with it. You earned it. That's achievement. Paul says, I had both. I had privilege. I had achievement. I had status. I had spiritual success. And he said, if anyone could put together a good resume, it was me. I had confidence in the flesh, he said. He uses that phrase three times. Confidence in the flesh, confidence in the flesh, confidence in the flesh. What's he talking about? He just means, I had confidence in what I was able to put together for my life before God and other people. I didn't feel like a train wreck. But then he says, and he says that, that gave him a lot of gain. It gave him a lot of significance. gave him a sense of identity. And then Jesus bumped into his life and boom, everything just gets ripped out from underneath him. Notice what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Remember that treasure that guy bumps into? I found the treasure, Paul says. I found the pearl of great price. And then he goes on, for his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What does he mean by I lost everything? Because he didn't lose his Jewish identity. He didn't lose the fact that how he was born or when he was circumcised. Well, he literally did lose one thing. He lost persecuting Christians. He completely gave that up. But the rest of that stuff, he said, it was more like, that stuff just doesn't matter to me anymore. All that stuff that I thought was so important, all that stuff I thought I could not live without, it doesn't matter to me anymore. You know, I call it, somebody calls it, it's not original to me, but somebody calls it the Rocky Balboa test. If you're familiar with the Rocky movies, Rocky won. Rocky's this boxer, scrappy boxer from Philadelphia. He wants to box. His wife, Adrian, doesn't want him to box, so she's trying to get him to quit. She says, why is this so important to you? Why do you have to box? And he says, because if I don't fight, I'm a bum. I'm nothing but a bum. The Rocky Balboa test is, what would you put in the blank in that sentence? If I don't have X, I'm a bum. If I don't have my image of a nice person, I'm a bum. If I'm not a perfect parent, I'm a bum. If my kids aren't successful, I'm a bum. If my life falls apart and I'm really struggling, I'm a bum. If I don't get that degree, I'm a bum. What would you put in the, that line? Paul says, I had a whole bunch of stuff in there. I thought I'd be a bum without it, and now I'm not. I'm actually free, Paul says. Whatever things were lost, they're, they're, it's like, it's gain to me. He even calls it rubbish in verse 8. Now, the word rubbish, let me explain that because it's actually a very emotional word. It's not like leftover salad that you throw out with the trash. It means dung, excrement. One of the premier New Testament Greek scholars, a guy named Daniel B. Wallace, he says this, and I quote, the word in the Greek, the original word, took on the nuance of a vulgar expression with emotive connotations. In other words, it's disgusting. 
is not something you would use in polite conversation. That's why the word is actually really rare in Greek literature. Paul is saying, you know, that Nobel Peace Prize, that Pulitzer, that MVP from the Super Bowl, that PhD from Harvard, or whatever success you want, it's all dung. Now, why would he say that? Well, look, those things are not bad in themselves. I would not mind getting a Pulitzer Prize someday. That would be all right. I could handle that. I wouldn't mind getting an honorary doctorate from Harvard or something like that. That's not the point is he was using them to build his righteousness project. And they were keeping him from the real treasure, Jesus. And that's why he said, they're like dumb. Just throw it out. Throw it out with the trash. You see, building our own righteousness is a hopeless project, according to the Bible. We all think we can do it. We all think maybe a lot of people can't do it, but I can do it. That's the default of our heart. I can build my righteousness. You know, there was a former mayor of New York City, recent mayor. He was interviewed, and he was talking about all his political achievements. I did this, and I did that, and blah, 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 blah. And he said, at the end of the interview, he said, you know, when I get, if there is a God, he said, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping for an interview, and I'm quoting, I'm heading straight in because I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. Now, I don't want to say that's just arrogant. That's just, what's really wrong with that is it's ludicrous. That's the problem with it. It's like me saying, if anybody can beat LeBron James in a one-on-one basketball game, it's me. It won't even be close. It's arrogant, but it's ridiculous. The Bible says, one of the Psalms says, in a beautiful summary statement of our problem, our human problem, oh Lord, if you counted sins, who could stand before you? That's one thing we all have in common in this room and outside this room. If the Lord counted our sins, and he does, who could stand before him? We're all sunk. None of us can succeed in this righteousness building project. But notice verse nine. Here's where the good news comes in. Verse nine, I, to be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I love that phrase. I've been thinking about that all week. Be found in Christ. What does that mean? It's like you're held. It's like you're clothed with Jesus's righteousness. You are clothed. You're in him. You're found in him. And Paul goes on to say, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I've given up that project. I'm so glad I gave that up, he said. But I have a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Earlier Christians called that an alien righteousness. Not because it was like some from outer space, but it might as well have been because it has nothing to do with you and your track record. It comes from God, 
through Jesus Christ and you receive it by faith, you don't achieve it. It's not your status. It's not your pedigree. It's not your privileges. It's not how hard you work. Faith is the instrument by which, the vessel by which God pours it into you. Faith is not a work. It's how we receive the gift. Paul says, I, am, I have that. I have that now. And it reorients his life. Notice what he says in verse 10. Here's his new com- consuming passion. That I may know him. That's it. I'm not building my righteousness project. I just want to know him. I want to know this treasure. I want to know this one who's given me his righteousness. And he says there's two facets to knowing him. First is the power of his resurrection. And second is to share in his sufferings. Notice it is his resurrection. It's not our power or our effort. Christ puts within us as we encounter him, as we know him. He puts within us the power of his resurrection. Think of him, dead in the grave. Every cell in his body is dead. Not just he's dead, but every trillion trillion cells is dead. Then the power of God comes, reverses every single cell in his body, walks it backwards, and all of a sudden he's alive. That power, he says, is in you. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to experience that. See, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how you've fallen flat on your face, no matter what train wreck you may be experiencing right now, no matter how much you're hurting for yourself or somebody else, or no matter what kind of dead end you feel like you're at, there is no dead end. There's the power of his resurrection. And Paul says, I want to press into that. But he says, I also want to press into sharing in his sufferings. I want to know that too. But notice again, It is Christ's sufferings that he wants to know. Again, I thought about that all week. It's like we talk so often, you know, my suffering and his suffering or her suffering or their suffering. But Paul says, I want to press into sharing the sufferings of Jesus. You know what that means? It means that we never suffer alone. That's the worst thing about suffering is that we feel like we're all alone in it. And we feel like people are going to reject us. People are going to leave us. People don't understand. So we go into this dark valley, whether it's depression or loneliness or, or, or addiction or uh, just you know, divorce or whatever. We go into this valley, and we're going to be alone. And Jesus says, no, it's my sufferings. I'm already there. You're coming into my sufferings. You're, you're, you're not alone in your suffering. I am there with you. And Paul says, I want to press into that. And so the power of his resurrection, sharing in his suffering, that encounter with Jesus, it it unleashes something into Paul. It it, it just like launches him. He's like a guy getting shot out of a cannon. He's like, or as C.S. Lewis said, it's like, it's like a horse getting wings, growing wings. We begin to fly and do things that we never thought possible because the power of Christ is in within us. And so Paul, even in this very broken place, he's in a prison cell. He's in brokenness, and he's in sorrow, and he's in a place of vulnerability. He throws himself wide open to risk, to sacrifice, to give of himself 
because he knows the surpassing value of Christ. Let me tell you another Mukan story. This is a story about a group of people who understand this passage better than most of us, better than me with my linguistic Bible and Bible commentaries and, and um, seminary degree. These guys get what this passage is about. So we're driving to the cathedral church where I'm supposed to give a presentation. I'm pretty anxious. I'm pretty nervous. And as Mukan always does, he has a trip planned for us that I didn't know about. So it's like, we're just going to stop here for a few minutes. It's like, I really got to get to the church. Don't worry. Those, they won't start before you get there. So don't worry about it. So we pull into this little dusty road. And at the end of this road, there's a, a junkyard, like an auto junkyard. But this is a junky junkyard. I've never seen cars this junky. I'm going, you, why do you even have that car? You really going to get that car going again? I, I don't understand. So we drive into this junkie, just all dusty, just kind of dirt on the ground. And we drive in, and then off to the left, we see what's called the garage church. And the garage church is, let me see if I can describe it. It's a couple of big tin sheets upheld by a bunch of spindly big sticks and a dirt floor. No walls, no windows, no door. It looks like it's going to collapse. But there's like 30 men under there. And they're all believers. And they're singing. And there's no musical instruments, and there's no um, sound system, but it's loud. And it's raucous. And they have this clapping that they do that's like this with beats that I never quite got, but it was, it was like, it's like music. And they're singing, and there is joy radiating on their faces. And then uh, Mark Mukan says, Matt, why don't you say something? Give them a word. So I gave what I think is my shortest and maybe one of my best sermons ever, honestly. So I just thought a little bit. The thought happened, what would Stuart Ruck do? So, I don't know if this is what Stuart would do, but I thought, I'm going to just get out of my comfort zone a little bit. And I just had this impression from the Lord. I sensed something. Have you ever had that happen? I sensed something. So I got down on my, I got on my knees, and I started, you know, moving the dirt around. And I picked up the dirt, and I let it fall through my fingers. And one of the guys... One of the mechanics, uh, these guys are all mechanics, by the way, in case you didn't pick that up. One of the guys turns to Mukan and he says, oh, he's touching the dirt. They didn't think Americans touch dirt. <laughs> and then I said, I just want you men to know that the Bible says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And then I looked at all their feet. They all had these open sandals. Feet are all dusty, hands are greasy with, you know, mechanic grease. And I said, I just want you to know you have brought, you are bringing good news of Jesus in this place. You have reminded me of the good news of Jesus. You are bringing the good news of Jesus into your community. 
So I just want to encourage you and thank you, brothers, for what you're doing. That was my sermon. I mention this story because those brothers in Christ, and they were all brothers, they were all mechanics, all men, I said those brothers have something that sometimes we forget. They know what it's like to be found in him. They know what it's like to have the treasure of Jesus, the surpassing worth of Jesus. They know what it's like not to have a righteousness of their own, trying to build their righteousness through status and pedigree and through achievement. They have an alien righteousness from Christ. It is the supreme worth. Brothers and sisters, you know, when everything in life is stripped away, when all the stuff we think is so important is stripped away, and it will be someday, there is one thing for those who believe in Jesus that will remain. The supreme worth of knowing Jesus Christ. I want us to recapture that this morning. To recapture the wonder of that. Maybe your life's a train wreck. Maybe you feel pretty good about your spiritual resume right now. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and it's growing stale. Maybe you're like, I just need to come to Jesus for the first time. I just need to get to him. Wherever you're at this morning, this message is for us. Christ himself is our treasure. How would you live? What would you do today if you knew that he is the supreme treasure? Reach out to him today. Reach out to him in this service. Reach out to him through the prayer ministers. If you're a believer, reach out to him during the Eucharist. Reach out to Jesus. He is the treasure. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As a part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.